Hey everyone, welcome to episode 115 of the MDG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? How was SCG Philly? Uh, It was good. I went up, I teamed with Jonathan Hobbs and Hunter Nance, Mm -hmm. both good friends of mine. Yeah. We didn't have a spectacular tournament. We uh, lost our win and end of day two to future finals competitors, uh, Zan, (laughs) Jeremy, and Roshan. That's unfortunate. It happens. Yeah. Going to be some team kills here and there, but uh, but it was a good weekend. Formats were crazy. (laughs) Everything is like in flux right now. Everything is, yeah, definitely in flux. Modern had, you know, there's a new maybe best deck in Modern Mm -hmm. that, you know, cat's out of the bag now, I guess, on that one. Yeah. And standard is wild. (laughs) So... And even Legacy is a little bit unpredictable right now, so... True. That one is probably a little more baseline than than the other formats, but yeah. still, like... The older the format, the the harder it is to get, you know, shaken up. But, you know, stuff like... Even, like, Brazen Borrower, to give, like, a main deck answer to Dark Depths is, like, a thing that changes the, the flow of the format pretty significantly. Very true. So, I uh, want to thank our patrons. Uh, we really, really appreciate y'all's support. Um, we have a bunch of pins and tokens sent out, and more are coming for the new patrons this month. Uh, newest patrons, thank you to Zayad P and James S. We really, really appreciate the support. Come hang out in the Discord if you haven't joined up yet. And yeah, we will we will get you your stuff and come join the community. Yeah, so Philly was pretty quite a weekend for Team Lotus Box <laughs> in general. Yeah. I'm sorry, you, you missed out on most of the day two fun. But... We did, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but everybody else seemed to crush it. So we had we had three teams in the top four mm-hmm. with Lotus Box representatives. Zan's team made the finals. Oh, R- Rossum's team won, of course. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then Dylan's team made the top four as well. Um, and Edgar's team was in in top eight as well. Yeah. So yeah. Um, they both Edgar and Dylan were on the same team. Oh right. Yeah. That's but, that's yeah. Yeah. Couldn't sure. keep track. Yeah. Um, kind of funny that. Edgar Ayers and Dilks managed to top eight another one, even the though Canadians. they weren't on the same team for the first time ever. Yeah, but they never miss a team top eight, so they were there anyways. They were still there. Yeah, yeah. So probably the easiest thing to start talking about is just standard and where that's at. Yeah, um, we all kind of knew Golos Field of the Dead would be the deck to beat going in right and and it was it was <laughs> in a pretty big way who oh boy did it show up yeah yeah so what seven out of eight of the the top eight teams, the team top eight were yeah. had standard golos on their team yep and um, i think i think five of those were like the kind of stockish bant yep. version featuring yep. teferi and then there was one uh zach allen was on the sultai version yep. that has risen reef and Yerok, the desecrated, yeah, for you know, the double triggers on Risen Reef, and then double Field of the Dead triggers, and right. and so it's a lot of value there. It even runs like some find and finalities to sort of recycle that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea behind that deck is certainly to go bigger in the mirror. Zan and Jeremy worked really hard on a Golos Fires deck that had yeah. you know a whole slew of plans for the mirror right um, and then we'll we'll talk about those <laughs> for sure but there was it was quite a piece of zan said deck building. oh yeah i mean this was the little spock special for the mm-hmm. weekend jeremy did a deck tech on it that you can check out on star city's website i'm sure and yeah i mean just as entertaining as a jeremy bertarioni deck tech oh yeah no. as you'd expect <laughs> yeah for sure uh and we talked a little bit about 
Uh, did we talk a little bit about that deck last week, or did we mostly do... Mm, I'm not sure that we... I think we mentioned it, yeah. but the deck definitely went through some iterations between then and, yeah, and the weekend. No, that's so. Right. Yeah, the main idea behind their deck was that they were utilizing Fires of Invention and uh, Fae of Wishes yeah. to essentially give the deck some more explosive options. Mm-hmm. Fires was really mostly there um, for competing against aggro decks, yeah. where you just unlock access to really explosive draws that just kind of like crush what the aggro decks were trying to do. Some of the Bant decks were playing like one Fae of Wishes. Um, there was like some Jace sideboard tech where the mirrors grinded long and you could Fae for Jace and plus and win. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they really went all in on um, just like a, a huge suite of uh <laughs> some yeah. pretty awesome sideboard tech cards maybe we should pull that up and, and talk about a few of them. yeah we definitely can so it, it's kind of interesting to watch so i guess sort of the the theme for this standard portion is how to beat the golos decks sure um and then this is like step one is play a golos deck that wins the mirror you can play a Bant Golos deck going forward as long as you like understand how the roles are assigned in the mirror based on play draw and what kind of cards you have in your hand and what kind of op- cards your opponent has. And you can just lean on play skill for the mirror. But I would much prefer to try to cheat it if I possibly can. Yeah. Um, and so Zax is certainly one way, but I, I really did think this was a nice bit of deck building. You know, there's like a story behind each of the one-ofs in the sideboard of this deck. Yeah, yeah. Basically, some sweepers, allegiance, and uh, plane-wide celebration is a powerful like reload mechanism and stabilizer against aggro decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, shared summons is a huge one to go get your uh, Golos, or really importantly, to go get your Agent of Treacheries in sideboarded games. Yeah. You know, some planeswalkers, and uh, a big one, especially for the mirror, is Chance for Glory. Yeah. So... You gotta contribute a lot of these uh, like techie cards to uh, Evan Whitehouse. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of work on this deck as well. He was the one who initially advocated for Chance for Glory, yeah. which was because he had been working on Jeskai Fires for a while. So yeah. he had a lot of these ideas that had come from Jeskai Fires and, and transitioned over right. to this wishboard. Yeah, and Chance for Glory was pretty sweet because the way that the games play out, there's just so many opportunities where if you just like get an extra attack in, mm-hmm. you're just gonna win on the spot. And it's it's more than that. You get to use like every piece of the buffalo here because yeah. you have the same number of zombies as your opponent. You attack in, they have to block or they die. You chance for glory so your zombies get indestructible. Right. You don't even need to make more zombies. You just yeah. untap and kill them with your zombies. Right. And you know, they know it's coming. It's not a combat trick you wished for it at sorcery speed, but yeah. there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, for sure. And then shared summons uh, was actually something that Evan came up with on the car ride up to Philly. <laughs> he was kind of talking about that on the car ride up, and he was like, because Kenrith is such a huge part of this deck, especially in the mirror, Yeah. Um, where if you have a fires out and uh, you can share summons for a Kenrith and just like a, a fatty, mm-hmm. like a beanstalk giant or something, then that's, that's just like finding Splinter Twin because mm-hmm. you can play your Kenrith play uh, a beanstalk giant, reanimate some other like beanstalk giant, give everything haste and trample, and then that's like a one-shot kill. Right. And that's because fires, you don't spend any mana mm-hmm. to cast the Kenrith right. or the beanstalk giant, right. so you still have mana left to reanimate, mm-hmm. which is a core function of a deck that I've been working on that we'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah, so this deck certainly has a- access to a lot more plans 
in the mirror. It gives up a little bit of that just like being able to consistently ramp starting early on. I mean, you, you do have... You know, you still have your growth spirals. You still have your circuitous roots. Yeah. But I know that, like, Evan has been saying that in the mirrors, he is, like, winning, but he's feeling like sometimes they get on board a little bit quicker mm-hmm. than this deck does. Yeah. You know, drawing Fae of Wishes and not Fires is pretty bad a lot. Right. For the first several turns of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Evan has told me that this Fires version, he likes much better against the field. He thinks mm-hmm. it's, it's, like, a generally stronger deck. But he's not confident that this deck is specifically winning against the mirror. His theory is that fires just kind of like elevates the power level of the deck to crush everything else. Mm -hmm. And then the mirror is still kind of 50-50. Having a pure wish board is, you know, it definitely has a lot of upside. But the downside is that you don't get access to some of the really tech cards. Uh, not being mirror. able to bring in Veil of Summer for other decks too is like kind of not right. the best. Yeah, Veil of Summer is is apparently really good in the mirror because another element of the mirror that's super important are uh, is Agent of Treachery. Sure. One of the ways that you can win in the mirror is by getting a field advantage on your opponent. Mm-hmm. And Agent is just the best way to do that. You just, it's just, you know, you steal their field and you get one. Um, I was talking a lot with uh, Abe Corgan and Edgar over the weekend and they were, they had like a debate going back and forth about like who had the more field of the deads in play at some time. <laughs> and Abe was like, I got six in play. And Edgar was like, I got seven. <laughs> so they were really high on the agent of treachery plan. Mm-hmm. And because everybody was doing that, they discovered that Veil of Summer was also like a, an important element of yeah. the mirror. Because if every game is going to mm-hmm. go to the agent of treachery plan, because right. these games go really long and you yeah. draw a lot of cards with hydroid crisis. Yeah. So that was definitely an interesting part of it. And, you know, I, I know that that came up in the finals between mm-hmm. Rossum and Jeremy. Rossum had a pretty clutch veil at one point for one of Jeremy's agent of treacheries. Yeah. And Jeremy just didn't have access to something like that. So Right. And without your own Teferis, you're not really able to stop them from veiling your right. agent of treachery. Right. So yeah. that particular fight is not one that you win. But... In games that aren't quite getting to that point, you do have, like, when you have the fires and you have a wish, yeah. you usually have access to something mm-hmm. for that game state that is going to be pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Another card that's really good in the mirror, if you can get it down early, is uh, Nickel Bolas. Because mm-hmm. it just starts, you know, eating away at a bunch of resources that your yep. opponent doesn't want to give up. Yeah, and if um, meanwhile you are making zombies too. Right. So, like... They can sacrifice a zombie, sure, but you drawing cards yeah. lets you make more. Yeah. Once you, like, Wrath... And then you plus your Nicol Bolas and then make zombies. Like, then they have to give up either a land on board or a card from their hand. Yeah, and if you can ever get it down before they have access to seven lands, mm-hmm. it becomes really crippling because you start needing to discard cards in hand instead yeah. of lands in play because you need to get up to the field seven. Yeah. Um, and that can get really out of control as well. Yeah, so I don't know exactly. I have not played enough Golos to be like, this is the best version. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I do trust Zan's deck building. <laughs> yeah. And, like, this at least is a way to confuse your opponents. <laughs> um, yeah. But people have been playing this version a lot. Like, I, right after the Open, the day after, like, I played against this version on ladder more than any other mm-hmm. Golos deck. Which is good because some of my opponents did not know how to play their version of the deck. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Um, I, I had a match against Efro where I'm pretty sure his brain just broke halfway through the game uh, and started making plays at random that were not very good. I, I'll tell that story because you need the context of the deck that I'm playing to understand sure. the story. Okay. But, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, and that's like at the end of our how to beat Golos. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, tour through standard, mm-hmm. basically. Be bigger somehow in the mirror. Have yeah. a better plan than your opponent. That Jace plan that Brad Nelson came up with, mm-hmm. like one Fae of Wishes in your deck that you draw eventually and then use Jace to deck yourself, that's good if nobody is doing anything but making zombies, Hydrid Crisis, and Wrath of Gods. Right. That will win those games. Right. But there's way more stuff than that happening now in the mirror. And if your opponent has chance for glory and your plan is to jace them, mm-hmm. you're you're going to lose that game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I, I can't remember the last time that Standard got so techy like this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's so many, like, things that you can do to one-up your opponent. Like, it, it feels like in the past that we've discovered a best deck and then the shell is always, like, super like consistent and like the same and maybe there's like like a few sideboard cards that are different yeah but with golos people are doing like wild crazy things like you know fate for chance of glory and mm-hmm. shared summons it feels it feels really interesting because well, um and certainly of part of that is putting a wish into the deck that's fair yeah. lets you really easily say okay this plan is a little bit better okay this plan because it, it only takes one slot in your sideboard right to have access to that plan yeah 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 but you know stuff like the risen reef um Yarok builds. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That's that's pretty wild and techy. And that kind of stuff I think mostly exists when you are hard targeting the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um you're allowed to do that stuff when you feel like I'm gonna play against Golos for fifty percent of my matches. Right. Yeah. But there is other stuff in the format. And we see that you know, the the classic looked like a different format entirely it really from did, the standard yeah. portion of the open. Part of how looking at this, you think like, well, okay. Team open, people are going to be a little more conservative in their deck choices. You're going to play the best standard deck because, you know, you trust in your playability and your teammates, so you don't need to take big risks with your deck choice. But, and and then maybe, like, people are a little more daring in the classic or something like that. And then since it's an actual standard tournament, maybe it represents the metagame a little bit better. However, that particular top eight with a lot of adventures decks and not very many Golos decks... That wasn't reflected in the standard mocks that happened this weekend, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that the Golos deck, at least at this moment, really is like the focus of the format. What was the standard mocks kind of breakdown? I believe half of the decks in the top eight. Yeah, the, the top eight of the mocks was half Golos decks, and 15 of the top 32 decks were Golos decks. Okay. So 50% of the winning yeah. metagame yeah. is No, is I my read on the classic results is actually that the strong goalless players just made day two of the open. I think that's probably and, mostly true. You know, so the uh, the strong player, I think that what happened was that the strong players who like failed to make day two of the open mm-hmm. were not playing goalless. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might have had some element of them not making day two of the open. And then they, you know, continued to play what they prepared over the week with in the next um, event. Yeah. And. The, the classic top eight was full of a bunch of really strong players, so I'm not surprised to see those players particularly, you know, doing well in that classic event. But I do think that their deck choice was just a little yeah. underwhelming for the team open. Yeah. Well, I know that Aaron switched because she played, she, she won the classic, she played mono red in the open. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is, it was one of the better, probably the best mono red lists that I've seen, mm-hmm. but it's still looks and feels very underpowered yeah it's just not in a good place right it's okay against golos but just like hard loses to pretty much everything else yeah and that actually kind of highlighted one of the fundamental problems i'm seeing right now with standard Mm -hmm. is that like traditionally these like 
macro archetypes that standard breaks down into aggro control midrange yeah are like all reasonably represented at some point but n- right now there's this like rampy controly midrangey deck that is you can't play midrange and you can't yeah. play control right because and you, they have a land that beats you you also can't play aggro because it doesn't feel like this is the problem that i'm getting to is that none of the aggro decks are like quite good enough mm-hmm. to beat the you know the mid-range and the like the big controly strategy which is i think you know kind of a problem and like maybe we need like better aggro decks to keep up with it but i don't know well the aggro decks have definitely developed and okay. so you know the way so st- path number one to beating golos is have a better plan in the mirror than your golos opponent yeah uh, path number two is to try to go under your default aggro deck is mono red that deck's just not good enough yeah. Um, and I think that the Golos decks even have like solid plans against Mono Red a lot of the time. Uh, I I believe that, you know, Aaron would not have shown up to the tournament with Mono Red unless she felt that it was favored against Golos, but it just loses to itself. Like there's <laughs> yeah. too many bad cards in these decks. And, and so the strategies, the aggro strategies that are working better, mm-hmm. we saw the classic top eight is full of adventures decks. Yeah, yeah. One... Selesnia adventure deck and then several Golgari adventure decks. Yeah. The Selesnia adventure deck sort of started life as closer to like an old Selesnia deck from a year ago with like four March of the Multitudes in it. Yeah. That was okay, but it wasn't super fast and you needed to have a team pump spell in your hand in order to convert those tokens into actual damage. Right. So when I was messing around with it, like Tristani's were really too expensive for the deck because you didn't have Legion's Landing anymore. So I ended up playing like a bunch of Unbreakable formations, which is like kind of a medium card since it's not a creature. Right. And so, so this iteration of the deck in the classic top eight, I do like a little better, and it's really more of a white weenie deck. Yeah, it's um, a venerated Loxon deck at heart. It, it feels like it is. Yeah, and and this is this is the list that Aaron ran. Really notably. It tops out at four questing beasts. Mm-hmm. And questing beast is the key to playing aggressive decks in this format right, right now. <laughs> yeah. Every, I believe every one of these adventure lists in the top eight of the classic is running four questing beasts. Right. The problem with the Golgari adventure decks before was that they didn't close games. Mm-hmm. And so there's two paths to closing games with these decks. Put like hasty slash evasive hard hitting threats in your deck. So that's Rankle, Questing Beast, and maybe even Spawn of Mayhem. Or you can run the Smitten Swordmaster and uh, the artifact that doubles your adventure spells. That's a way to close out games too. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably less powerful on a like single card for card basis. And right. That's why like all of these lists are Questing Beast Rankle decks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, Rankle is definitely the other like top end that seems to have passed the test mm-hmm. of just like really powerful four drop creature that can can do a lot to get them dead. Yeah. So, so the thing is, like, we're beating Golos decks via damage. Our damage sources need to be resistant. The things they do to stop aggro decks are block with tutus and wrath you. Yeah. So that's why Questing Beast and Rankle are so good. Haste makes you resistant to wrath effects, and their evasion makes tutus irrelevant at blocking them. Yeah. Um, so these are the ways that people have chosen to finish out the games, and I think that it's reasonably effective mm-hmm. against the Golos strategies in general i don't know how long yeah lucky clover is the adventure artifact nice i don't know how long this sort of thing is going to last these decks aren't bad Mm -hmm. and they grind pretty well but stuff like 
if people start playing the the Wish version of the Golos deck, the Fires version, and you put Enter the God Eternals in your sideboard, Questing Beast doesn't kill you anymore, necessarily. Yeah. There's solutions to these particular problems, and the right. Golos deck can adapt to them. Definitely worried about that a little bit moving forward, is that these Golos decks are going to continue to adapt to kind of whatever people are trying to face against them, and I think that they're just comp- super adaptable right now. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and, and that's why... There need to be, like, multiple different ways to attack it via an aggressive deck, so they can't just, like, adapt to the aggressive deck in the format. Right. Um, so hopefully there are things other than just Questing Beast Rankle, Spawn of Mayhem, these are the threats that I can beat <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. this deck with. One strategy that has some legs is some sort of either Mono Black deck or Aristocrats deck. The Mono Black deck is also a Spawn of Mayhem Rankle deck right yeah. now, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> But it can adapt a little differently, uh, and the black-red decks generally are not that. They are more, like, ping you over and over until you're dead sort of decks. Yeah. Um, and that's a thing that the current Golos decks don't have a ton of defense against, but it's not that hard to play some life gain. And if you're on a Kenrith version and you, like, wrath them and then you start gaining five life a turn, yeah, then... <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it's really tough. Yeah. So... Yeah, Kenrith... Oh, man. Kenrith seems like a huge element of these sects that fills so many holes. Yeah. Um, Kenrith is just a good card. Right. It's, it's the buy a box promo, and again, it's just a good card. Uh, but it, <laughs> at least it's not as oppressive a design. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Wizards definitely did a good job selling boxes with this one. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I know multiple people who just kind of sucked it up and bought a box because they needed a Kenrith for this weekend. <laughs> People who I know that would ordinarily never buy like a box, like yep. and sealed product, are just like, all right, I, you know, I have to find a Kenrith. Got to <laughs> buy this. This is the box. only way. Yeah, <laughs> brutal. Yeah, and you can't get your Kenriths proxied because a Correct. non-foil version exists. Correct. So in that way, we're a little bit worse off than yeah. the Nexus of Fate situation. <laughs> it's wild. So, uh, and I am after brewing a little bit i'm confident i'm going to be running some kenriths so i have to go find some non-foil ones yeah to uh run in future fires of invention decks right yeah. that card that card is nice with fires <laughs> of invention I, yo no i'm sure oh yeah, yeah god you get to you just menacing yeah you you never have to tap your man for anything else yep so yeah it's very satisfying to cast that with all of your mana open Whew. yeah yeah right so you know, our forking paths for beating Golos. Have yeah. a good plan for the mirror and just right. play Golos yourself. Yeah. Honestly, probably the best plan. Right. Be aggressive and have your threats specifically lined up against the builds of Golos that people are playing. Right. At the moment, that is Questing Beast, Spawn of Mayhem, Rankle, Rankle yeah. those types of threats. Then there's... And I, I don't know exactly what this is because this is not really going bigger than Golos because because that's not possible right <laughs> yeah, like, Field of the Dead is just the end all be all of late games right right Golos is the end game of the format you're not right. able to, you weren't able to go over the top of Nexus of Fate you yeah. can't go over the top of Golos that's that's not what we're doing here but maybe it's just that the Fires of Invention decks are fighting on a like a specific axis that the Golos decks are poorly equipped to deal with yeah Ultimately, that access is just flying because you get card advantage <laughs> yeah. and then like the Jeskai Fires deck, for instance. Yeah. You get card advantage with your Planeswalkers. Right. You play a Sarkin yeah. and you kill them with your Sarkin. Right. Um, they're bad at blocking. They only have Hydroid Crisis for that and you can bounce or kill Hydroid Crisis. Yeah. 
My problem with the Jeskai Fires decks is that all of these questing beasts are really bad for your Planeswalker theme deck. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and Questing Beast is like the other third of the format or mm-hmm. whatever, where you're either playing Golos or Questing Beast or, yeah. you know, whatever you want to try out. Yeah. And, and being weak to a third of the stuff is not exactly where you want to be. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we are, we have little, like a, a triangle here where we have Golos and we have Questing Beast decks. Yeah. And we have, honestly, like Fires of Invention decks. I, I, is kind of the only other way. You can't play like a controller mid-range deck. You can't play removal spells into planeswalkers and have right. that be good. Yeah. You need to be doing something broken, and that's Fires of Invention letting me cast multiple big spells per yeah. turn. Or well, I, I heard something about reanimating a 7-7. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been working on this deck. I played it in... I got invited to play in E-League this past week, um, and that will have aired by the time this episode comes out. Cool. So it is not a spoiler to say that, unfortunately, uh, I was not able to pull off the wins that I was hoping for. Yeah. So a little bummed that I didn't get to quite show off what this deck was capable of yeah. playing against Seth Manfield in mm-hmm. E-League. So I'm working on this reanimator deck. It is a Fires of Invention deck, but one of the question marks about your Fires of Invention deck is what does your deck do when you don't have Fires of Invention in play? Right. And my answer to that was, well, Fires of Invention really likes Kenrith. Mm -hmm. Kenrith really likes good reanimation targets. Yeah. We have one really good reanimation target in this format, which is Dracuseth, and our reanimation spell gives haste. Yeah. So can we, like, put all this stuff together into one thing? And Dracuseth happens to have flying... (laughs) Which is really good against Field of the Dead. Yeah. And we're. I think I am getting the deck to a point where it is pretty good. I'm happy to play against Golos decks. Most yep. of the aggro decks I am. I feel fine against. Questing Beast is good against me. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as it is against the early Planeswalker-based decks. Sure. So this is... Yeah. The cards in this deck are... You've got eight of your one in a red mana... Cards that let you discard a card. So Rick's Mighty Reveler, Thrill of Invention, or Thrill of Discovery. You have a Fires and Fairy Wish Package, uh, Bond. You have Dracuseth. I have one main deck agent of Treachery. I have some uh, Royal Scions to help me discard. And then uh, a bunch of Ritual of Soots and a couple of Murderous Riders is basically the deck. And a couple of Kenriths. You know, you can play... The deck plays out in several different ways. The big thing about the deck is if you manage to discard a Dracuseth early, then your opponent has to kind of play scared for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, and that really, like, you can leverage that in a lot of different ways where your opponent doesn't know if you have it, and if you do have it, they will die. Yeah. So they have to, like, try to play around that somehow. Right. Um, the games where you don't discard a Dracuseth early, it can be a little bit frustrating, and you feel like you're not really working towards something. So that sure. is kind of a problem with the deck. One way that we helped to fix that a little bit was Zan suggested putting an Agent of Treachery in the main. That's been very good as a fifth reanimation target. The Wishboard, a lot of these cards are incredibly effective in this, like, Fires reanimator deck. Yeah. Shared Summons is one that I stole from. Excellent. And it's even better in this deck. Right, right. uh, Because you can do things like, I mean, you can always do the, like, get Fairy and a guy and, like, keep the chain going. Um, getting the Kenrith is really good because if you have fires in play, we have incredible reanimation targets for Kenrith. I've definitely done the turn four fires, wish for shared summons, turn five, play a land, 
shared summons, play Kenrith, get back my Agent of Treachery that I discarded at, like a turn ago. Or if I have a Royal Scions in play, I can share summons for the Kenrith and the Agent of Treachery, discard the Agent, bring it back with Kenrith. So your turn five is here's a 5-5 five, five, and a 2-3 and steal your thing. And you generally win those games. This deck sounds sweet. <laughs> it's really sweet. It's the most fun deck that I've played in a very long time. Yeah. I probably want to like stream with it or make some videos or something just to share like how yeah. cool these games are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the really sweet stuff happens when you have Fires of Invention. You yeah. get to untap with it. And right, then right. you just do some really broken stuff. Um, but a, a lot of the scrappy games are just like you... Finding a spot to reanimate a Seth with Bond, hitting them, and then things mostly go your way after that. Um, the two biggest problems with the deck right now are that Questing Beast's rise in popularity is pretty bad for a deck that depends on Ritual of Soot as its primary sweeper. Ah, uh, yeah, that could um, be a problem. Questing Beast, Rankle, and Spawn of Mayhem all do not die to Ritual of Soot, and that is kind of a problem. Um, and sometimes you just get beat by the aggressive decks because you stumbled a little bit and you can't really deal with their threats until you start reanimating stuff. Right. The you you patch that up because Dracuseth does kill all of those things. Yeah. So that reanimating a Dracuseth heals all wounds, basically. <laughs> yeah. And uh the other big problem is the adoption of Agent of Treachery in all of these decks. Mm-hmm. Uh that's a problem that mostly gets solved by playing around a possible agent of treachery. Um, if you don't, then you end up staring down your own Dracuseth, and that's a yikes. That's not great. Yeah, but you know, if you play around it, I had an opponent who stole my Dracuseth. So they stole my Dracuseth, but I also had a Royal Scions at eight loyalty. Yeah, but they didn't have enough cards in hand to steal the Royal Scions and then use it to kill the Dracuseth. So their only chance of survival was like hope that I couldn't you know, do anything but kill the Dracuseth. Mm-hmm. But I killed the Dracuseth, drew a million cards, reanimated the Dracuseth, and, you know. Got him. So you need to have, like, the multiple threats on board thing. Gotcha. Yeah. To beat Agent of Treachery. But anyways, the deck is sweet, and it mostly, like, illustrates that there are avenues mostly based around Fires of Invention mm-hmm. by which you can attack the format. You just have to keep in mind what the Golos decks are doing, which is they have an unbeatable late game, so you got to kill them before you get there. You have to find a way to kill them that doesn't get brickwalled by a lot of 2-2s or a lot of Wrath of Gods. Right. And solve for X, and you can probably come <laughs> up with something. Like, this is what I've yeah. come up with, but there are other things. Yeah. Still still room to brew around a little bit. I think so. Yeah. yeah. If you play a Golos deck, you should know you're going to be hard-targeted. Yeah. You know, the aggro decks have a bunch of haste guys that don't get blocked by 2-2s. They also have Legion's End as their removal. Like, they're going to be able to go a couple more turns and hopefully finish you off. That's their plan. Yeah. So, we'll see. You know, results... I, I think not... The open, like, you could kind of say, like, okay, I understand what happened here. And maybe Golos isn't that big of a problem, even though it looks like it from the top 8. The... The standard mocks being fully 50% Golos decks is definitely... Yeah. And ev- scary. Every deck in, in this deck dump is clearly built to beat Golos. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. it's all questing beasts and, like, Jeskai Planeswalkers and stuff, right. so... Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm i having a trouble imagining a future without Golos. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's going to be too resilient to whatever people are going to come up with. Yeah. But, you know, maybe there are some, you know, interesting strategies out there that people are going to find that... Uh, hinder it in some way that it 
isn't able to bounce back from. But I don't know. It just has way too many different angles of attack for that to yeah. appear like is what's going to happen. So One of the other problems is that you're pulled two ways because your deck that is hard targeting Golos, most of the time if your opponent plays an Oko and are not playing Golos, yeah. like, you're just going <laughs> to lose to their stuff. Right. Yeah. So that's a little rough. Yeah. There are people out there still playing Oko in standard. Because it's, it's still really good? It's crazy strong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the other aggro decks that you can choose to play, like you can play Questing Beast plus any color, basically, yeah. is like a choice you can make. So Gruul is okay. Yeah. Um, the main thing you get from Gruul is access to Embercleave, which when you put that on a Questing Beast, you know. It's pretty big. You, you, it's a trample 10, ten power death touch <laughs> yeah. like it, it really cannot be touched in combat and will kill your opponent right um you need to block it with like you know 10 guys that are bigger than five five that are bigger than two twos or whatever like you're just not gonna have those yeah so yeah. that that is pretty sweet however the gruel deck in general just like doesn't seem to have the tools like you don't have any real way to like mini mitigate mana screw or mana flood mm -hmm. like you just kind of want to draw your cards in the right order yeah. and and hope that they kill your opponents gruel decks in standard traditionally rely on like enough mana dorks to keep it functioning and the goose just isn't really what gruel mm -mm. can work with it's just not really a food deck so it's not gonna be able it's like a it's like a, a lotus petal <laughs> you yeah really play that yeah yeah, I can definitely see why that deck would be struggling right now. There are some two mana mana dorks, but it's just not not very powerful ones. Yeah, the fact that Esper isn't in like is completely unplayable now. Yeah. does help it. Yeah, because you kind of couldn't beat Esper even with an aggressive version. Yeah, one iteration that I have seen is a goose based sort of gruel deck, but splashing blue. So you get Oko, and I think they have they often run Royal Scions. This is a weird deck, and I keep running into it on ladder, and it keeps... It's not very good against the decks that I'm playing, Yeah, but I can see the concept of it being good against Golos. So it's running four Geese and four Arboreal Grazers, and okay. the whole idea is get down a Planeswalker on turn two. Yeah. Ideally Oko. Right. And then just use that to put power into play and, uh, you know, upgrade your creature's like, you know, you go Arboreal Grazer into Oko, and you make the Arboreal Grazer into a 3-3, and you attack. Yeah. That's not bad. That's something. The problem is the deck mulligans, like, absolute garbage. You know, you <laughs> yeah. mulligan to 6, and then you're on the play, and you play an Arboreal Grazer, and then put a land into play. You have three cards left in your hand. Right. And yeah. they better be good ones. Yes, yeah. they need to close out the game quickly. Like, another one needs to be a land, <laughs> so that you can cast your Oko, right. and then you have two cards left in your hand at the end of the next turn, and it's just like, we gotta do this. Yeah. Alright, let's start making food and turn into three threes. So, yeah. I, I believe this is a Jack, uh, this is a Jeff Hoagland special, okay. originally. Sure. I don't know what to think of this deck. Like, from the matches that I've played against it, it feels like one of the worst standard decks that I've ever seen. <laughs> But I think it is specifically targeted towards, like, Golos decks cannot do anything about these permanents this early in the game. And we will kill our opponent before they start making 2-2s two that matter. It also runs four questing beasts, obviously. So, you know, the the design makes sense. It all, it never runs out of stuff to turn into 3-3s three with, with Oko. But boy, when the deck doesn't draw Oko, it seems just really atrocious. Yeah. No, that's fair. For sure. So... All right, so... Seems like a pretty good overview of standard at yeah. the moment. 
Um, it's developing. There's room, but goals is scary. Yeah, for sure. But you played Modern this weekend. I did. I played Modern this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up playing Paradoxical Outcome Urza. That seems like a good choice. Uh, yeah, it, it was a good choice. It mm-hmm. felt very, very strong. Okay. I kind of had a rough start to the day. Uh, there were a few sideboard cards that I wasn't able to find on the, on site, which was a little frustrating. I initially wanted to play uh, Stoic Rebuttal, which uh, is really good with Urza as kind of like a catch-all counterspell. Mm-hmm. Ended up having to settle for Disdainful Strokes for the weekend. I uh, <laughs> but I have bad news for you. You I had probably Stoic shouldn't rebuttal. say this, <laughs> but I came home, you know... So, so Collins asked me for cards. Sure. I was at work, so I couldn't find them in my stuff. So I tried to tell I I, I tried to tell you where they were. Yeah. Uh, and I saw that you looked in those boxes for like I have big boxes with old commons and uncommons in them. Sure. They're in alphabetical order and sorted by color, and you got to like move the boxes around a little bit. But I saw that you didn't find any Stoic rebuttals. So I came home and I was like, I'm pretty sure I have Stoic Rebuttals. And I, yeah. you know, 10 seconds later, I was holding four Stoic Rebuttals in my hand. Well, that's a bummer. So yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> a little sad about that. I'm that's sorry. all right. It happens. But yeah, I, I definitely noticed that that kind of like, I played, I think, a little loose in the first couple of rounds of the of the team event. Okay. But once I got my, you know, back into the groove of things and my teammates were winning, so mm-hmm. I was able to do that pretty quickly. Uh, I turned it around and I finished with, I think, an X2 record. Okay. Because, yeah. Uh, P.O.R.S. is just, it's crazy good. We yeah. were we were kind of joking around that this team event was standard legacy and vintage <laughs> instead of modern. There's a lot of moxes uh, in these modern decks right now. And there's eight moxes. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah, so I was very happy with my deck choice. Uh, Roshan played pretty much the same deck and, you know, made the finals. Uh, Dylan was in the top four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that we figured it out pretty well for this weekend Mm -hmm. the big technology that we ended up using for this paradoxical outcome deck aside from it like the main deck is pretty stock at Mm -hmm. this point the big question that people still have about it is whether or not you should be running jeskai sentency Mm -hmm. the conclusion i came to at the end of the week was that i did not want to run jeskai sentency the decks that i was playing with it just felt a little too clunky Mm -hmm. people have started to solve that with the ascendancy builds I think people are down to just three Jeskai Ascendancies instead of the full four in favor of more things that just, you know, help you smooth out your draws and stuff. Cheap artifacts, um, mostly. Yeah, cheap artifacts and uh, specifically uh, Witching Well was mm-hmm. just a huge card for me over the weekend. Okay. Uh, I ended up playing three. Uh, I've seen a lot of builds now just running the full four. That card is just really, really strong. Yeah. You know, it filters your draws. It helps you find the pieces that you're looking for. Uh, you can cash it in for two cards later mm-hmm. on for not really much cost if right. you have Urza out. Right, right. Once you have Urza mana, you really can just do yeah, that. Yeah, you can just you can just turn it into two cards. And it, it's a target for paradoxical outcome. Right. And it gives you more scries when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think potentially like a Jeskai Sensei build that is still running a solid quantity of those mm-hmm. instead of like trimming on them like the initial builds were. Uh, I could see going back to Jeskai Sensei. The main reason I pulled the trigger on the deck that I played was Oko. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oko is... Now, how many Okos in the sideboard were there? So, I played three. Okay. Uh, Roshan played four. Yeah. I don't know... I Four, which might be correct. Because it just represents its own plant post-board. Yeah. People try to beat you doing whatever else, and then you play an Oko, and they just lose. You just make a 3-3 three, three every turn, if yeah. that's what the game's about. If right. you're playing against Burn, you just gain three life every turn. <laughs> yeah. Burn cannot beat that card. Yeah. If you're at a reasonable life and you resolve an Oko, it's just over. Yeah. Which is really good because Burn is one of the tougher matchups, I think, for, mm-hmm. for PO. 
And it's, it, you know, it's versatile. It's also like, oh, they have a collector hoof in play and I need to use my mana. I will yeah. turn it into a 3-3. Three, three. Right. Or they have a stony silence in play. You know, or right. they stony have... silence in play, I can beat them down with 3-3s. Three yep. You know, anything else, I'll just turn it into a 3-3 three, three, and yep. then, you know, kill them with Urza. In the mirror, you I like it a lot in the mirror because you, you can play it and put it up to 6. And then your opponent is, like, cannot resolve their own Urza anymore unless they're killing you that turn. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty tough to do some of the time. Uh, otherwise, you just steal it, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. So yeah, I was you know super happy with the Oko technology. I expect people to adopt that moving forward. People catch on. It's just it's just clearly really strong in my mind. But the other deck I kind of want to revisit and have started to revisit today yeah. is Kethys. Uh, cool. So Kethys is the other Emery deck. I think Emery was like the big card that like made all of these decks possible. Mm-hmm. Where Emery's just a super strong engine. Yeah, unbelievably good. Yeah, it it reminds me a lot of Deathrite Shaman, but at it, so it makes mana mm-hmm. by getting back a Mox, and but instead of draining your opponent for two as like the other thing that it does, it just it just, it just draws cards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or it combos yeah, off yeah. and kills your opponent. Right, right. Yeah, but yeah, it just draws cards, uh, and which is pretty crazy in my mind. So I, I want to revisit Kethys because the reason I abandoned Kethys initially was that it was just a little bit too bad to the hate that people were bringing out. Mm-hmm. But now we have this Oko tech. Yeah. So the latest Kethys build that I've been playing has four Okos in the sideboard of Kethys, and then that can answer problematic permanents that they're trying to play to disrupt what you're doing, um, or it just has you know represents its own plant. Like I've won a lot of post-board games with just like Oko 3-3 beat down. Yeah. Like, you know, tur- right. turn my random artifacts into 3 3 Yeah, and- it looks like, oh, this doesn't answer Stony Silence or Leyline of the Void mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's just like, okay, well, I'm on this. Your enchantment isn't stopping, like, here's all my 3 threes. Right, <laughs> here's all my 3 threes, which is, yeah, which is really nice. So I've, I've won a lot of games just with, like, you know, Psy plus Oko, and then mm-hmm. my mid-range opponent just can't win. Yeah. Uh, just like generate too much value, like have an Oko. You know, maybe eventually they answer the Oko, but then, you know, Sai's doing work to draw some cards to find another sure. Oko. <laughs> yeah. Sacrificing foods to Sai to draw cards. It's like, great. Great. Yeah, it's a good time. You know, these are the things that I'm pretty excited about in modern. Other big modern news, though, mm-hmm. it turns out there, I think there are two, like, there are three, like, best position decks that came out of the weekend in my mind. Mm-hmm. So there's the, these paradoxical Urza builds. And then Amulet Titan had yeah. an insanely strong weekend. In the hands of some very good Titan players on strong teams, it ha- it should be said. Yeah, yeah. It, it also it, it won did look, the standard yeah. or the modern classic. It did win the classic. Yeah, it had less success in the modern challenge this weekend. Okay. It's just one thing yeah. to say. I, I think there were a couple in the top sixteen. None in the top eight, yeah. so probably a, at least one virtual top eight in there. Sure. So I, I think it is a, a well-positioned deck, and particularly, it looked pretty good against the Urza decks. And that was kind of a, a, a question that I had over the weekend, because I played against Amulet Titan several times, mm-hmm. you know, both in the Modern Classic and in the uh, just the main Modern event, and I wasn't sure who was favored. Mm-hmm. I think that if these Titan builds are running Karn, then they're just a clear favorite. Sure. Because Karn is just so hard to beat. That's cheating the matchup. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But even just like the normal builds, they have a lot of really strong game that they can do. Like if they resolve a Titan, then they can grab a Pact. And then that like combination just does really well to set up lethal for next turn. Uh, And you can't like combo them through Pact. It's like, it's very hard to do that. Yeah. Because you got to resolve your Urza. Mm -hmm. And if they just have a counter spell up for your Urza, 
It's rough. You sure. can't do it that turn then. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think that Amulet Titan is, it's tough to say if it's like a, a strong favorite, but mm-hmm. I think it has a lot of game against these Urza decks. Yeah. Which puts it in a pretty good position moving yeah. forward. I mean, the combination of having very fast draws that, like Urza's plan against creatures attacking it is like, here's a bunch of servos or thopters that make it difficult, yep. but it's a primeval titan so that that doesn't work <laughs> yeah um and then it also has access to engineered explosives mm-hmm. pretty easily even game one which yeah. is a deep, solid way to disrupt like paradoxical outcome targeting a bunch of zeros no it really is i think and that's something that not a lot of players picked up on is that uh ha- just having an engineered explosives on zero out against a paradoxical urza deck mm-hmm. is almost just good enough on its own to stop them from comboing mm-hmm. you you can play through it for sure um, but it makes things very difficult. And that was actually my strategy in the mirror, which I thought was really effective, which was just to keep in all of my engineered explosives and use it to make sure that my opponent's board never got like too cluttered with just stuff. Because mm-hmm. that's like the dangerous part where your opponent just like has a bunch of artifacts out, they play an Urza, and then they can PO they just... and kill you from there. Yep. Yep. So if you can make sure that you can keep all that cleaned up with the engineer explosives or if you're if you get into late game and they just like do have a bunch of stuff you can just like have it out and threaten to activate it if they go for a po and then it just makes it much more difficult to continue to combo once you've cast your paradoxical outcome yeah you know so that was really good in the mirror but also is something that amulet titan has access to Mm -hmm. which is really good right and amulet titan tends to do a good job of clocking you in addition to having that explosive. Right. You don't have a lot yeah. of time to play through the explosives. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if they have the amulet, like, they can either set up, like, grab a pact, or they can set up, transmute for an E, play it on zero, and have, like, a bounce land yeah. untapped left over. Yeah, yeah. Were right. these these amulet decks we're running once upon a time? Am I? Yes. So No, and that was, yeah, we should definitely talk about that, because that was, I think, part of what made these amulet titan decks really strong is that they had that consistency boost yep we talked a lot about this already but just being able to find like multiple different parts of their engine was really good Mm -hmm. um and then the other card that all my opponents were running and were very very happy with was uh the new green castle their deck is just really good at creating five mana Mm -hmm. and if you just like have a castle in there when they're doing that it's just a titan so the castle makes sakura tribe scout cards mm-hmm. uh because there's a courage tribe scout which they already ran a bunch of but i was talking to will pulliam and he was running a fifth one i don't know what the name of the fifth one is it's uh, uh yeah i don't remember it's a little more awkward because you can only do it as a sorcery yeah 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 but just the combination of of that card a bounce land and a castle mm-hmm. allows you to i'm I'm, I'm not going to do this math again right now but I, I think it allows you to three turn three a titan just with those cards yeah um, well if you have land bounce land castle i mean you might need an amulet you, as well if you have an amulet you can certainly do it yeah if you just have another basic you can do it too. yeah yeah another untapped land right so um so that's really strong yeah just kind of on its own or not even another yeah if you have the forest on turn one and then turn two you like bounce land play like a Teleria west or whatever like that okay and then uh, or or yeah or castle and then then turn four you you would need like two untapped lands so even without an amulet sure. you could do it yeah so yeah or turn three i mean yeah so right so the castle unlocked a lot of draws that they didn't have access to previously yeah um so i think that it just like did a pretty good job of speeding up that deck just on its own i also saw people playing the castle in titan shift 
Yeah. Um, I saw, yeah, two copies. There was a Titan Shift deck in the top eight of the Modern Challenge, and I had okay. two copies of Castle Garenbrig in it, yeah. which is kind of a lot. It also had a forest and a snow-covered forest in it, so there's like a, a fair number of non-mountain lands yeah. in the deck. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Valakut, if this is going to help you cast your Titan, you need to just naturally draw it. Yeah, so. right. It just unlocks the turn three Titan, which was much more difficult before. Which is... Made impossible impossible before, before I, I think, think so yeah 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 so that castle i think is doing a lot of good for these these titan decks it's just perfect you just get the six mana for yep. titan and then boom did it you would actually love this valicate deck from the top eight of the challenge it was a okay. zero bolt to finale or to uh, hour of uh promise deck oh the the classic mono green valicate yeah deck. it did yeah, have yeah. two sweltering suns okay. in it i think sure. so it had a yeah. little bit you can cycle them you don't need red right exactly <laughs> exactly yeah yeah Definitely something there. And also definitely, you know, that deck is a sign of we don't really want to interact. Yeah. The format is not super fast, but like killing creatures is not what this format is about. The The original version of that deck was because we were in like a Death Shadow metagame and yeah. bolts weren't doing anything there. Right. But Valakut with no bolts and with two Sweltering Suns is a strong sign that there's no humans in the metagame whatsoever. <laughs> yes, very true. For sure. Yeah, human decks and then just like generally like tribal creature decks or whatever are not having a good time at the moment, for sure. Yeah. I wonder how much Plague Engineer is to blame for that. Partly, for sure. And, you know, theoretically, it feels like humans would be pretty rough for a lot of the popular decks right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I I think that... At least Thalia, the card, seems good right now. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, well, I'm going to retract that statement because uh, Engineered Explosives being a a huge element of these decks is just going to make it really tough for these decks. And that's a huge part of the power level of these decks is that a lot of hate is so bad against Urza because... You know, the card Urza beats a lot of hate, mm-hmm. and then the card Engineered Explosives beats a lot of the other hate. Yeah. And so you're super resilient. The The Paradoxical Outcome deck plays a pretty solid mid-range game until it gets to its combo turn, which is usually not on turn three or something like, you know, it's not a super fast combo deck. Right. And that's one of the ways to attack the deck is just be faster than it. So, like, Amulet kind of leans into this a little bit, and... I know you you were saying that like Kethis is like heavily favored in that matchup. You think? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's just much faster doing what it's mm-hmm. trying to do. If if people are playing Jeskai Ascendancy, mm-hmm. it kind of evens that out a little bit. But and you may have to play Jeskai Ascendancy so that you can win the mirror. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I do think that that gives an edge in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So I moving forward, it might be true that like a three Jeskai Ascendancy build is like where you want to be. Okay. I've seen the latest list play three. For now, I'm going to be testing out. Kethis. I just love that deck. Yeah. It's just, it's just a lot of Seems fun. totally fine. So do you think you are likely to play that uh, this coming weekend is Indianapolis? Yeah. I mean, if I can find a build and plans that I like in, in mm-hmm. all the matchups, I, I think that I would be pretty excited to play Kethis in Indianapolis because I think that I would have an edge on everybody who's like one week behind and playing Pio Urza. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that sounds like a great spot to me. And always good to play a deck that people aren't totally sure how it works. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of people online, at least, make plenty of interesting mistakes against yes. me that is pretty apparent that they don't exactly know what's going on. Ooh, I guess since I described what my standard deck was, I can describe my Ephro match. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> poor poor Ephro. Not, like, these cards are 
like batshit, like yeah. the wording on them and stuff. So like Kenrith is a card designed for commander and brawl. Right. So he's sort of a group hug commander. So his abilities all work to help any player. Like mm-hmm. he can put a plus one plus one counter on any creature. He can make any player draw a card. Okay. Key is if you reanimate a creature, it reanimates under its owner's control. Uh, yeah. So I, early in the game, discarded an agent of treachery. Yeah. And then at some point, Ephro, I believe, like, stole my fires of invention with an agent. Nice. And then was able to play Kenrith and then reanimate targeting my agent of treachery. Whoops. Oh, no, he played his own fires because he was playing Xan's deck. Okay. Um, but anyway, so he was able to play Kenrith and then in the same turn, and it's really good to reanimate something in the same turn with your Kenrith, just yeah. not your opponent's creature. <laughs> so he reanimates my agent of treachery. I steal his Kenrith with it. Untap. <laughs> uh, I have fires at this point, so I like like wish for a thing, play a spell, pass the turn. Um, he ends up with like a beanstalk giant in play and then attacks me with it. So I block with my Agent of Treachery and reanimate it again (laughs) to steal his Beanstalk Giant. So, you know, there is a learning curve for a lot of these weirdo cards in Standard. Um, Kenrith is wild. Kenrith is a wild one, for sure. For sure. That is why it sometimes is good to play a deck that your opponent doesn't really understand what all the cards do. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, all the equity that you can get in in your win percentage is is worth. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely hoping that Kethis gives me a little bit uh this coming weekend yeah overall how does the positioning of burn seem yeah um that's definitely something that we should talk about because i love burn yeah and uh when it's good i i definitely want to be playing it right like Um, if if you don't develop plans in all the matchups that you're satisfied with with kethis like i'm fully expecting you to fall back to burn for the weekend yeah well burn or potentially ascendancy or are are both i think reasonable fallbacks yeah yeah but yeah, I'm like I want Burn to be good, but I've noticed that there's been a pretty significant uptick in Leyland Sanctities around. Mm. A lot of Tron lists have them in their sideboard, and that was like an element of the metagame that you uh, need to crush Tron. You really want to be favored in that matchup, and yeah. it was you know I think that its matchup has historically always been kind of overstated because. You know, Tron can still do Tron things and, like, play a turn three Warm Coil Engine that it's hard to beat. Right. Th- turn um, three Warm Coil Engine on the play, yeah. you kind of can't beat. Right. Especially game one when you don't have access to your, mm-hmm. like, Path Exiles and stuff. But, yeah, w- as soon as they start Leylining you, then the matchup flops completely in the other direction. And I've noticed that, you know, a lot of decks are doing stuff like that because Burn got so popular in, like, our, like, post-Dallas era, I yeah. guess. And not to mention that... One of the more popular builds of Tron just has three Thrag Tusks main deck. Yeah. But, you know, uh, aside from the Tron matchup, it, it does feel like there are uh, other popular decks that Burn is, uh, I think, a favorite in mm-hmm. uh, pretty heavily. Like, I think that Burn is very well set up to, to play against these Urza decks. The card Eidolon is just really phenomenal in yep. a lot of matchups right now. That's the thing, is, like, the game one hate card of Eidolon yeah. is... Very nice. ...is really important in a right. lot of spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you can EE it out of Urza, but, you know, setting that up can be really difficult. Uh, and, and you only get to EE early 
by playing out artifacts. Right, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, obviously the the play here is to play your zeros on turn one yeah. or, or turn two opponent on the play. plays a uh, goblin guide or something, you need to make sure that their turn two is not going to hit any of your zeros. Yeah. You could have cast, yeah. for sure. It, but it's very reasonable that, like, a green version of burn... I played against that a couple of times uh, today, mm-hmm. where it looks like people are playing cinder vines in, in burn now. Oh, that's legit. Um, yeah. So that that also helps uh, pretty well against paradoxical outcome, and you know can can do a good job of like removing the ley lines that mm-hmm. are problematic right now. Um, so definitely worth taking a look at. The problem in my mind though is that the green splash got much more difficult out of burn, just because the mana base that the Boros build is operating under right now just plays a lot of non-fetch shock lands. So yeah, you want six of those uh, right. Horizon Canopy lands. Yeah, you, so that just kind of makes it more difficult to squeeze in like the like eleven or twelve green sources that are necessary to like splash green cards. Yeah, you're just not gonna you, like you don't have that many fetch shocks uh, in the deck, so you you right. end up running a burn deck that has like maybe eight or nine green sources post board, and that it just doesn't feel good to me. No, so. Definitely I'll have not. to tinker around with that a little bit, mm-hmm. and maybe I can get it to where I want it to be. Yeah. Maybe wear tear is the right answer, but... It's a little less exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really hate playing cards out of burn that don't deal damage to the opponent. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, yeah. And it that's also like, then you're replacing your Smash to Smithereens with a card that doesn't hit your opponent and like there's no card that i'm as excited to board in as as, yeah ooh a smash matchup i like get excited throw them in there yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly (laughs) i mean maybe now like veil of summer and a thought sees matchup like sure also because it's like i'm beating your card and i'm just like winning this this (laughs) thing take three (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah so it'll be interesting to see because it does feel like just matchup wise across the board right now in modern you have a lot of good matchups um, I still believe that Burns matchup against Amulet Titan is very favored. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of Amulet players tell me that that's not true, but I don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, saw at least one of the lists in the top eight had the second uh, Radiant Fountain in the sideboard. So that's okay. That's kind of scary stuff if people are doing that potentially. Yeah, like for sure. Once you are on that plan, then you don't necessarily have to walk into the deflecting palm. Right. Um, yeah. And Because you can just, like, cycle those in and out of play enough times, potentially. Yeah, for um, sure. But still, like, you you put them in a bind and force them to attack, and then you yep. just get them. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, I, I would definitely love to play Burn. Mm-hmm. This deck I have the most reps with in Magic the Gathering, so... Uh, <laughs> but Mox Opal is a pretty nice one too. Yeah, you know, I I definitely was playing Burn when there were other like potential best deck options that I neglected. Yeah, I don't think that the these Mox Opal Emery decks are something that is going to be easy to look away from. Yeah, so. that, that makes a lot of sense to me. They just are doing a more busted thing. But yeah, cool. that's uh, that's been my experience with Modern. You know, generally I try to look at Modern from like really broad strokes mm-hmm. and make sure I have everything covered, but. Uh, it feels like I'm so focused into these Emery decks right now. It's just like completely consuming all of my attention. So Gotcha. Yeah. Well, and I do like those Okos in the sideboard of these artifact decks. It, it just seems, seems like, like, yeah, it seems like the perfect solution mm-hmm. for everything that you're weak against. Um, and I'm really hoping that it, you know, pushes Kenrith over the, or 
Kethis. I know. Kethis over the edge. That, I've, I've been doing that, too. Yeah. Every time I say one of those names, I have to, like, double check in my mind <laughs> that I'm saying the right one. But yeah, it, it solves so much. And one of, like, a mini topic, you know, those were our two big topics, uh, just standard and modern. One, like, little mini topic that I wanted to touch on is just, like, Oko's role in older formats. Yeah. Um, I think we haven't really broken through the surface of what's going to happen with this in the... You know, there was a legacy challenge this weekend. There weren't any Okos showing up yet. Yeah. Uh, I think that may be a pretty short-term thing. It feels like a card that would be strong in legacy. Yeah. Just, like, is just super fundamentally powerful and cheap and... Is yeah. blue. It's blue. <laughs> you can exile it as a force of will. Yeah. Like, it, it, it keeps your blue count up. And as an expensive card, like, that's important is you, you right. want ways to pitch expensive cards when you draw multiples of them. Yeah. I... And really, like, tickled by the idea of just, like, teamer control now. Interesting. Because there's stuff you couldn't answer before, and that's why you needed to have a clock in your teamer deck. Yeah. But now, Oko turns most problem cards into things you can lightning bolt. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty neat. That's fun. Uh, it turns chalices into not chalices. Also good. That's pretty good. So, yeah. like, against the prison decks... You can just, if you have an Oko in your hand, you just let all the chalices in the world resolve and you only worry about countering the Blood Moons. Yeah. Um, that's a huge advantage to have in that sort of matchup. Yes, absolutely. Tarmogoyfs, couldn't bolt those. Now it's a 3-3. Three, three. Mm -hmm. I can bolt that or, you know, block it with my own 3-3 three, three or whatever. Yeah. Or if you if you have your own Tarmogoyfs or Elvish Reclaimers or whatever, then you're just outsizing the, you know, you build your deck so that the 3-3s three, don't matter that much. Right. Yeah. The... 2020 Merit Lage usually come, often comes in at end of turn, right. but if you're a Wasteland deck, then sometimes you want to combo off and be like, okay, if they draw Wasteland, you know, I want to have this made before then, and here's like a punish for that line of play in the it's, same deck as your Wasteland deck. Right, yeah, for sure. Uh, and even if you're playing a scrappy game against Reanimator, I'm pretty sure if you land an Oko into play, they cannot win the game. Yeah, I could see that. Like, they'd have to have, like, force through or reanimate on a Gristlebrand, get a lucky, like, seven that allows them the mana to reanimate something else, and then go, and then hopefully turning one of those into a 3-3, three, three, the other one can still kill you. Right. Like, maybe they can still kill you through that, but that gives you stuff. Like, Lightning Bolts aren't going to answer Gristlebrands. If you're playing them in the main deck, it does, it does add an element of the reanimator matchup that didn't exist before, where... Before against these like teamer delver decks, um, I felt pretty safe knowing that if I just resolved a Grizzlebrand, the game would end mm -hmm. because they just had nothing to answer it. Yeah. So yeah, definitely adds some element of like, okay, you know, I got to kill them before this Oko gets to, you know, get rid of right. my threat. Or and whatever. certainly the plan A is not. Yeah. I'm going to use this Oko to get rid of my opponent's Grizzlebrand. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the for plan sure. A is try to counter your spells and and you know squeeze you so you can't put the gristle brand into play in the first place yeah yeah yeah. but but it's an element it's an yeah. element the card does stuff yeah yeah i i did see a like like one or two copies of oko in in legacy mm -hmm. uh i can't remember who had them but i like i think that there was like one in a teamer sideboard that i saw mm -hmm. um so people are trying it out yeah it may not ever see a ton of play but yeah. the combination of ren plus oko feels like not a lot of permanents are threats uh, yeah. versus those two cards. Right. Yeah. So for sure. No, I mean definitely definitely something to consider. Um 
But, you know, in terms of its impact on modern, it's definitely it's, having an impact on modern. It's there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not only am I seeing it in, you know, I think it's a great cyberboard option for a lot of these Urza combo decks, but I've just, like, seen, you know, mid-range decks pick it up as, like, one of their main things to do. Like, mm-hmm. I played against just, like, bug control, and, yeah, it was it was a pretty big element of what they were trying to do and sure. seemed really effective. Yeah. Card's just really good. And every time, you know, that standard deck that I was talking about, the whole point of it is to get Oko into play on turn two. Yeah. And every time it does that, it looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Every time it doesn't do that, like, and you play, like, an Arboreal Grazer and two geese, and it's just like, wow, what a pile of cards. Every, yeah, 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 yeah. Really need the Oko to, to make that You really work. need the Oko. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yep. Uh, shall we do a Patreon question? So, Panama Kid asks, Arena Decklist podcast harps again and again, don't be the smaller mid-range deck in regards to standard specifically. What are the conditions, and what would be the meta where a small mid-range deck would be a good choice i think that in order to answer this question we need to go back to the like the macro archetypes that we talk about all the time Mm -hmm. so there's aggro decks mid-range decks control decks and combo decks are like the main macro archetypes yeah and there are some things that like kind of break them a little bit a little bit like ramp decks and stuff like that yeah but generally if you're just looking at the three main ones which are you know aggro mid-range control the Little decks beat, like the small decks, which are the aggro decks, beat up on the control decks traditionally, Mm -hmm. and the mid-range decks beat up on the aggro decks. But within the mid-range mirror, which is what this question is referring to, the bigger your mid-range deck, the better you are in the mid-range mirrors. But sometimes if you go too far towards the control end of that spectrum, Mm -hmm. then you start to lose against these aggro decks. So... In a format where aggro decks are a pretty big, you know, element of the the metagame, mm-hmm. being a smaller mid-range deck would probably mean that you have a better matchup against these more aggressive decks. Because the smaller your mid-range deck, the like the quicker you can get onto the board, and you're still bigger than these aggro decks, so yeah. you're going to be able to beat up on them in that way. But you're not so big that you are suddenly, like everybody that is playing an aggro deck can get under you. And we actually did see this not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Like last year, the first generation of the Golgari decks were actually like pretty small mid-range decks running up to like three ravenous chupacabras yeah because there were a bunch of aggro decks to beat up on you didn't want to be huge and you know it topped out at here's vivian reed right yeah like compared to the end games we have now right like that's a joke (laughs) that is tiny a couple of five mana spells and some raised deads yeah was was their end game yeah yeah um and you were beating up on the smaller decks because you had a bunch of necrotals and you had the finality half of fine finality and then after cards are traded off, you'd land a Planeswalker, go up a couple of cards, and that would be plenty to win the game. Right. And then you would change your size against the control decks. You'd have more Planeswalkers, set out removal for duresses, and then you'd be a fundamentally different deck after sideboarding. Yeah. But yeah, like, that is basically it. You want to be a small mid-range deck when you're not engaging in these mid-range battles constantly. Yeah. You're just trying to play three threes to your opponent's two twos, basically. Right. So kind of a simple... Yeah, kind of a clean answer. answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, but that is one where we have an actual answer to the question. So yeah. that feels kind of good. <laughs> Instead of our, you know, general like theorizing yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, this this is one where like if everybody is playing mono red, play a small mid range deck with like 
you know, a little bit of life gain and some some necrotols in it and you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. You know, unless they have access to a card like Experimental Frenzy, then it becomes much more complicated. I really enjoy formats where small mid-range decks are good. Mm -hmm. Like, I enjoy playing small mid-range decks that can board up into, like, bigger mid-range decks. Like, I, I definitely miss that a little bit, where yeah. right now it feels like, you know, in order to win the mirror, you have to do, like, crazy stuff. And, and then, like, currently the aggro decks just aren't very good, so everything's kind of over right. the top of everything else. But, um, right. but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do enjoy playing a small mid-range deck. One of the key things about this standard, just to not to go back all the way into that discussion, sure. one of the things that is making the aggro decks bad, I think, is that they have much worse mana than the other decks. Interesting. Um, yeah. The goal is decks are able to just have perfect mana almost every game because they run 29 or 30 lands. <laughs> so many lands. And have a bunch of land search and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can cast whatever, mm -hmm. and it's totally fine. Yeah. The aggro decks, you know, like I just saw a gruel list posted that is... uh you know, nine mountains, ten forests, Oof. four stomping grounds, two fable passage. Yeah. That's not a good mana base. Yeah. If you're trying to cast a green spell on turn one, and then, a like, you have multiple green green and multiple red red cards in your deck, that sucks. Yeah. And it's, like, with that mana base... Uh, such a high percentage of the time you're going to be drawing like the wrong half of your mana base and you just like draw all swamps or all forests and yeah. that's that's a bummer yeah yeah but if you're playing a deck that is able to leverage the other stuff it's doing and convert mana into fixed mana mm -hmm. so you know an example is the goal decks another example is like the reanimator deck that i've been playing that runs rick's Mati reveler and thrill of discovery you know, as long as I have red mana early, there's a good chance that I can cast all of my spells. And I'm a solid, solidly three-color deck. Blue is a little less important, and, and I'm splashing a planes in my deck. But I'm able to run four Fabled Passage because I have space for it comes into play tap land in my curve. Or, you know, turn four, like I casting a four mana spell is my most important turn. Yeah. And because my deck is not trying to curve out, and I can spend mana on things that help fix my draws... I'm able to have pretty good mana, but the aggro decks don't have that luxury, so they suffer a lot yeah. for it right now, especially right. allied color decks. Yeah. Yeah, and and so that definitely pushes the aggro decks into, like, wanting to be monocolored, mm -hmm. but then the you're just going to lose power level, Yeah, it's just not going to work out. I think mono black is fine. Right. I think you can build it, and because you're, you can be mono black and your top end can be four rankles and four spawn of mayhems, yeah. if that's what you want it to be. Sure. Uh, I think it gets there, which is kind of nice. We haven't had a mono black deck in a very mono black long is always like you know it's it's one that people try out a lot, but it's it's not one that is typically right. the aggro deck of the format. Yeah, yeah. And you get to run four castles in your deck, which yeah would be more relevant if you played any late game decks that weren't right. Golos. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's being on a castle plan against Golos is just not where you want to be. Yeah. I mean. You can dig you a little bit to try to find that last rankle to finish off the game. Sure. And, and a lot of times, the way that these decks play out is you do end up with like eight lands in play towards yeah. the end of the game, and it's fine to castle. Right. But castle is much better when you're playing against Esper, Doom Foretold, than yeah. when you're playing against Golos. Right. Cool. Well, that's really all I had for today. So Yeah, I think that wraps up for me as well. Okay. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks to everybody who has signed up for our Patreon and gives us some support that way. If you would like to become a patron, can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or head straight to our website. 
mtggrindcast.com. We've got links to all of our episodes. We've got links to our social media, to our Patreon, to Collins' coaching services. You can find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. The podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. And thanks so much to everybody for listening. And have a great week. Peace.